What a joy, not only to hear each other in this room singing and praising God, adoring him, but to know that our brothers and sisters across the world this morning are praising God with us. I love you, and I appreciate you so very much, whether you're participating with us online or you're here with us in this room. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of what God is doing in the world. Thank you for being filled with the Spirit. Thank you for keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus in spite of whatever else you're dealing with in the world. Thank you for being a follower of the Messiah, Jesus. I heard a disturbing story this morning, or this week rather, that illustrates something really well, I think, but uh, it's kind of a disturbing story. I'll just warn you ahead of time. But there was a guy named Chad, and apparently Chad had, I can't even imagine this, but he had a one-ton hay bale. I didn't even realize hay bales were made that big, but a one-ton hay bale, 2,000 pounds of hay compacted, fall on him, and he was trapped under this one-ton hay bale. And thankfully, Two police officers realized that this had happened and realized that there was someone trapped underneath it. And they came and they were communicating with him and they said, we're going to try to push it off of you. We're going to try to get you out of there. And of course, he's, he's being crushed under all of this weight and he's realizing and thinking in his head, doing the math, there's two police officers and there's 2,000 pounds of hay, they're going to have to move 1,000 pounds apiece. There's no way in the world they can push this off of him. And he's thinking and trying to communicate, even though he can't even speak above a whisper, he's saying, cut the strings, cut the strings, because he knows if they just cut the strings, then the hay will fall apart and they'll be able to take him out. But of course, he can't speak above a whisper. And so they try and try and try to push it off of him and they can't. And they say, hey, we're going to call some backup. They call the fire department. Six firefighters show up and now he's thinking, okay, there's eight guys, but there's still 2,000 pounds of hay. There's still no way they're going to be able to push it off of me. Cut the strings cut the strings, but of course he can't tell them loud enough, and none of them are thinking about that, and they push and push. Thankfully, they were able to push the hay off of him, and he was okay, but he got out, and he said, I was thankful, but I just kept thinking, why did no one think to cut the strings? I got to thinking about that story, and about how people are a lot like that. If you take one straw, one piece of hay, I mean, it might be kind of annoying, but it it doesn't weigh very much. It's really no big deal. It's kind of light as a feather. It really doesn't have much impact, but you put that one piece of hay together with millions and millions and millions of other pieces of hay, and you combine them and unite them and tie them together, they can make a huge impact. And people are the same way, right? When you take a lot of people and you tie them together, unite them together, bind them together, they can do, they can do something pretty big. And sometimes that can be a good big thing, right? We, we've talked a lot around here about brighter together, that we can make a bigger impact when we work together, when we're united together. But there's a flip side to that as well, isn't there? That when you take a whole lot of human beings, a whole lot of human beings, and you unite them in something that is not good, something that is bad, something that is sinful, something that has a negative impact, 
then all of those people, the combined impact of all of those people united in something that is sinful and destructive, it can crush people. And sometimes we don't recognize that huge impact that people can make. Individuals are often unaware of their personal contribution to the collective impact of sin. Just want you to kind of sit with that for a second. Individuals, me and you, are are sometimes or often unaware of our personal contribution to the collective impact of sin. That one piece of straw that was sitting on top of Chad could have said, I'm not crushing Chad. I'm just one piece of, of hay. I'm just one piece of hay. I barely weigh anything. I'm not really crushing him. Completely unaware of the combined impact that all of them are having on the one person. And many times you and I can be the same way. Unaware that we have united ourselves to, we have allied ourselves with, we have aligned ourselves with things that are sinful and wrong and destructive and be unaware of our personal contribution to the collective impact of sin. This series this month, we've been talking about villains, and we talked about the politician, Herod Agrippa. We talked about the false prophet, Bar-Jesus. But sometimes, sometimes a villain isn't a single individual. Sometimes the villain is a group of people, a group of people who have allied themselves, who have united themselves as, a, as an angry mob sometimes. And maybe, maybe there are individuals in that crowd, individuals in that group, individuals in that mob who are unaware of their personal contribution to the collective impact of their sin, but the collective impact of their sin can be crushing sometimes, can't it? And maybe we've even seen this happen, but we're going to look at Scripture this morning Talk, continue through the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 13, continuing this story about Paul's first missionary journey. And he and Barnabas are in a city called Antioch of Pisidia. And he's speaking to the Jewish community in Antioch and telling them, of course, about Jesus. So if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 13 and verse 26. Here's part of Paul's sermon to the Jewish people in Antioch and Pisidia. Brothers, Sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, listen, because they did not recognize him, they did not recognize Jesus, nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. He's saying, brothers, listen, here's what happened. Here's what happened in Jerusalem. Our our brothers there, our Jewish brothers there, even though they heard the prophets read every Sabbath, even though they heard the scriptures over and over and over again, when the Messiah showed up, they did not recognize him or understand the scriptures. And because they didn't understand the scriptures, because they lacked understanding, they actually fulfilled 
the Scriptures. They fulfilled the Scriptures, not in the way they wanted to be a fulfillment of Scripture, because they didn't understand, they accidentally became the bad guys. Church, religious people, religious people, and we have to recognize the danger in this, religious people have a tendency to become the evil we fear when we lack humility and love and an understanding of the Scriptures. Let me say that again. Religious people have a tendency to become the very evil we fear because we lack an understanding of the Scriptures. And that's what Paul said happened in Jerusalem. He said, brothers, listen, these brothers of ours, they heard the Scriptures all the time but they didn't understand them. And because they didn't understand them, they ended up becoming the very fulfillment of the scriptures that they didn't want to be. They were afraid of evil. And in their fear of evil, they ended up executing the Messiah. They ended up becoming the very evil they feared because they didn't understand the scriptures. And church, if that can happen to them, guess what? It can happen to me. It can happen to you. We can end up becoming the very evil we fear when we lack humility, when we lack love, when we lack an understanding of the Scriptures. Look at verse 29. And when the people in Jerusalem had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people." Now, again, over and over again, even in the fact that these people who did wrong were actually the fulfillment of Scripture, and in God raising Jesus from the dead, it, it just goes to reinforce our theme for the year, doesn't it? That Jesus is unstoppable. That the message of Jesus is unstoppable. That God is unstoppable. That you are not going to thwart the plans of God. You cannot thwart the plans of God. And this the resurrection of Jesus is the, is the apologetic for what we believe. It is the proof of what we believe. The tomb is empty, and, and those who saw it are witnesses of that. And Paul isn't talking about something that happened thousands of years ago. He's talking about something that happened just a few years ago. You could still go and talk to those people who were witnesses of this resurrection, and if this resurrection happened, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, then everything Jesus said is true. And what Paul is testifying about Jesus is true. He really is the Messiah. He really is the Christ that they had been waiting for. Verse 32, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And what's the second psalm all about? It's all about a king, the anointed king, that God is going to rule the world through his anointed one, through his son. That what God has promised, Paul is saying, what God promised to our fathers now we, their children, are getting to experience it. The promises of God, a king and a kingdom 
It's coming true in our generation. We are getting to receive the promises that God made to our fathers. They are being fulfilled to us if we have eyes to see them. Verse 34, and as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Now, now you know how I am about plural and singular you. It's, it's kind of hidden in the English, isn't it? But in Texas, we've got a solution for that, don't we? It, this is a, a plural you, which means we, we should translate it as y'all, right? Or even all y'all, that's right. But okay, so he says, I will give y'all, I will give my people the holy and sure blessings of David. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 53 and verse three. I will give to you the rule and reign. I will give to you the sure, the holy blessings of David. These, Paul is saying, these blessings, these blessings are being resurrected Jesus through him. The holy and sure promises of God, these blessings are coming to us. We are going to inherit them through Jesus if we have faith to receive them. Verse 35, therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Paul's quoting from Psalm chapter 16 and verse 10. And he's saying, David must have been speaking about someone other than himself because his body was buried and it saw corruption. But there is one whose body did not see corruption. Who's that? Jesus, right? Jesus has been raised from the dead. His body didn't decay. It didn't see corruption. He's been resurrected. So he is the ultimate holy one, the ultimate son of David, the Messiah, the, the Christ, God's anointed king, the one we have been waiting for. As a Jewish people, he is the one that we have been waiting for. The holy and sure blessings of David are coming to us through Jesus. That's what he's saying to this, again, very Jewish crowd. Verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. That's not, a, that's not a knock against the law of Moses. That's not to criticize the law of Moses. It's simply to say there are things that you couldn't gain from the law that you can have through Jesus. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophet should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. Beware, because there's going to be some who scoff and who don't believe. And in their scoffing, in their cynicism, they will perish. Believe, have eyes to see, have ears to hear that everything we've been waiting for, everything we've been promised, the holy and sure blessings of David are coming to us through Jesus. He's been raised from the dead. He's the Holy One of God. He is going to rule and reign and we get to be a part of his kingdom. Verse 42, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. 
And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Now, now this, this message that Paul is proclaiming in the synagogue, it's a very Jewish message. The gospel itself is a very Jewish message, but it's not exclusively a Jewish message. They get to be the first ones to hear it. They, they get to be the first ones to receive it. They, they get to be the first ones to, to whom it said, will you believe? Will you have faith? And, and for someone who is a faithful Jew in the first century, for them to follow Jesus isn't as much a conversion as it is a continuation. It's the next chapter in their faith story. This is their story. But again, it's not exclusively a Jewish message. It's for the whole world. It's for any who will believe. So, verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Isn't that a sad turn of events? One week earlier, they were saying, please, Paul, we want to hear this more. Come, talk to us more about all of these blessings. Come, talk to us more about this forgiveness. Come, talk to us more about Jesus and him being the Messiah and God raising him from the dead. And then the next Sabbath, what happens? A bunch of people showed up. And a bunch of people probably means not just Jewish people showed up. A bunch of Gentiles showed up. And what is the reaction? Jealousy. Jealousy. And that, that's, that's what we feel when we feel like someone is taking what belongs exclusively to us, right? What we feel when we feel like we have to share something that belongs exclusively to us. It's what we feel when we prioritize our own needs and wants and interests above the needs and the wants and the interests of our neighbors. The gospel message can't thrive in a heart like that. The gospel message cannot thrive in the hearts of those who jealously prioritize their own interests over the interests of their neighbors. And so for so many in Antioch and Pisidia, it was like the parable that Jesus told about the seed that was sown. Some of it was sown on, on a pathway and the birds of the air, like Satan, came and snatched it up before it even had a chance to take root. Others fell among the weeds, and the, the weeds choked out the word just as it was beginning to grow. Jealousy and the gospel don't mix. The gospel cannot grow in a heart that is filled with jealousy, that prioritizes my own interests and the interests of my people and my group above the interests of my neighbor's. It will choke out the word. Here were people that were excited. They were begging, begging to hear the gospel. But as soon as people from another ethnic group got to share in their blessings, they said, never mind. We don't believe it anymore. We don't want to have any part of it anymore. Verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, to the Jewish community. But... Since you thrust it aside and you judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. 
For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. You see how it happened again? You see how once again religious people became became the fulfillment of prophecy in a way they didn't want to be. Religious people became what they feared because they lacked understanding of the Scriptures. When we lack understanding of the Scriptures, when we lack humility, when we lack love, we become the very thing that we fear. And so Paul is saying, once again, Scripture is fulfilled by you because you closed your heart off to the gospel, because you rejected the gospel, now the Gentiles get to hear it. Now, Paul isn't saying, I'm never talking to another Jewish person. Paul is a Jewish person. Barnabas is a Jewish person. And every time Paul goes to a new community, he goes to the synagogue first to give that community the same opportunity he gave in Antioch and Pisidia. To say, you get to hear it first. You get the first opportunity because this is your family story. But if you jealously prioritize your own interests over the interests of your neighbor's, you will choke out the word and you won't believe it. But again, because they had this hardness of heart, because they lacked understanding, they became the very thing that they feared. Verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, that it was going to come to them, that they were gonna get the opportunity to hear the gospel, when they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. See, this, this is what I, I believe still happens, don't you? That, that the seed always falls on fertile soil if we sow it widely enough. If we spread the word widely enough, then it will always fall on fertile soil. It'll always fall along the path. It'll always fall amongst the weeds. It'll always fall on rocky soil, but it will always fall on good soil if we spread it widely enough. But if we only focus on one little group of people and say, I'm only going to sow the seed right here amongst this people, there's a very good chance it's not going to fall on any fertile soil. We've got to be like the sower, like the Messiah, spreading the seed all over the place to all people. And church, I've, I've been blown away over the last few weeks. There have been so many people, young people and parents, and grandparents putting Jesus on in baptism right here at McDermott Road. The seed is falling on good soil. And the seed will always fall on good soil if we're willing to spread it widely enough. But if we're jealous and we're caught up with the jealous crowd and we're only sowing it amongst one group of people, there's a good chance that it won't fall on fertile soil. Look at verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing And they incited the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And notice that contrast there. On the one hand, this angry, jealous group, they incited and stirred up. Now don't discount the possibility of you being incited and stirred up. An angry, jealous crowd can incite and stir you up maybe more than you recognize. 
And it's easier than sometimes we're willing to admit to be part of the big hay bale that's crushing someone. It's easier than we realize to be incited and stirred up to be part of and united with something that is not good and is not right and is destructive and sinful. And I'm sure that there were many in that crowd that did not understand their personal contribution to the collective impact of their sin. And they were so incited, and they were so stirred up, and they were so angry, and they were so jealous that they kicked Paul and Barnabas out of the district. But, but, the disciples were still filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Because the Word of God is unstoppable. Jesus is unstoppable. This angry crowd could not steal their joy and could not stop them from being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's our application for today, isn't it? Don't let the crowd either provoke you to jealousy or rob you of joy. Don't let the crowd provoke you to jealousy and don't let the crowd rob you of joy. And we have to remind ourselves of this on a daily basis, sometimes on an hourly basis. I will not be provoked to jealousy so that I prioritize my own interests over the interests of others. I will not be incited. I will not be stirred up. I will not join the angry mob. We have to remind ourselves of that on a daily basis. And even if there is an angry mob who's incited and stirred up and driving me out of the district, I will not be robbed of joy. Because when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can recognize, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we can recognize the jealousy that is so antithetical to the gospel. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the Spirit producing joy in us. But church, every time you turn on the television, every time you turn on the radio, every time you scroll through social media, I guarantee you there are forces, there are voices who are trying to entice you, incite you, stir you up, make you jealous, make you prioritize your own interests above those of your neighbors. And do not underestimate the ability of religious people to become the very thing we fear when we lack an understanding of Scripture. Do not underestimate our ability to become the very thing we fear and to be caught up and incited and stirred up with the angry crowd. But even when we see an angry crowd, even when we feel like we're being crushed by an angry crowd, do not let them rob you of joy. We win. That's the whole theme of this series this month. As we go through the book of Acts, this is what we see over and over again. There are always people, whether it's individuals who try to stand in the way of and oppose the gospel, or whether it's whole crowds and groups of people, there are always people who will stand in the way of the gospel, but the gospel wins. Jesus wins. The Spirit wins. God wins. And when you're aligned with Jesus... When you're united with him and with his people, when his vision is your vision, when his will is your will, you win. 
And that's why, even when the crowds are against us, even when people are incited, even when people are stirred up, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can have hope, because we know that our Lord is unstoppable. And maybe this morning you're ready to unite yourself with Jesus, to unite yourself with his people, to experience the holy and sure blessings of David that have now come to you. And now it's your opportunity. Now it's your opportunity to ask yourself, what will I do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? What will you do with this message? Will you be united with him in baptism? Will you be raised up to walk in a brand new life? Maybe you've already made that commitment and maybe you need to recommit yourself to that. Recommit yourself to not being provoked to jealousy. Recommit yourself to refusing to allow your, jo- your, your joy to be robbed from you. Maybe you just need prayers. Maybe you need encouragement. Our shepherds would love to pray with you or right now you have this opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.